You're listening to The Cumberland Road, and I'm your host, TJ Melanoski. Following is a faith conversation with Darren Kinnamer, a Cumberland Presbyterian minister and the chief of chaplain service in the VA healthcare system in Birmingham, Alabama. Darren shares how his faith journey led him into the mental health chaplaincy and how caring for the soul begins by building authentic relationships. Darren is most comfortable outdoors as he talks with me on his back porch with the birds conversing too in their own way. I hope you too enjoy this faith journey whether outside or in your home, in your office, or in your car, with Reverend Darren Kinnamer. What does it mean to care for another human being? I think care looks different depending on the context. Um, So care in a local congregation is going to look different than care in a more institutionalized setting. So could you speak on the care of another human being? Yeah, so I think it's uh, not just the context, but the individual that's important. Um, There are times that where I, I'm working with an individual who is from a similar faith background, um, has similar experiences. And then, you know, there are times when I'm working with someone who's vastly different. Uh, and so there's not a lot of common ground. But I would argue that that, to a lesser extent, is true in the church as well. There's a variety of different experiences. I know I jumped in with a question, but I think it resonates with the role and the vocation that you have now. So do you mind, you know, describing your role, (laughs) what that looks like, and maybe it will make more sense in terms of, of my question, my opening question about caring for the soul, for the uniqueness of another human being. Yeah. So, um, I'd, mostly work with uh, veterans who have uh, moral injury. And so just to unpack that a little bit, the uh, moral injury uh, being uh, folks who have uh, done something, experienced something, uh, seen something, were not able to prevent something, that violates their deepest sense of what's right and wrong. Mm. So it's a form of trauma then. It is is very much. uh, It's, it's spiritual trauma. Mm. So we think about uh, veterans having post-traumatic stress disorder uh, often when they've been in combat, but it's, this is broader than that in a lot of ways. Um, with with PTSD, uh, you're you're dealing with a lot of fear based kind of responses, 
to things and and the psychological sequelae of that. This could happen uh, without PTSD. So, you know, people who um, have have had experiences that were not life threatening to them, um, but but left an emotional, spiritual wound. Does trauma include sense of guilt, shame, mm-hmm. loneliness, alienation? Yes, all of the above. Uh, and and in fact, um, shame is is from my perspective one of the kind of hallmark features of of moral injury. Guilt is uh, sometimes. A part of that, but uh, yeah, the 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 shame is really what what drives it. I think. What do your interactions look in terms of uh, healing and pointing towards healing uh, for combat veterans? Yeah, so meeting them where they are, mm. uh, and being willing to be present. Even when it's uncomfortable, uncomfortable for both you and the individual. Yeah, and 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 hold holding space with them, mm-hmm. um, where they they feel free uh, to to open up and and share. Uh, in a in a way that's pretty vulnerable, and being willing to to hold that with them and and accept them as a human being, a child of God. Yeah, I would imagine that the natural human resistance is to withhold or uh, push back some of that <laughs> that willingness to share, even though I'm going to talk out of two sides of my mouth because. In a way, that's what I'm asking you to do as a guest on this podcast. But isn't there a sense of, um, yeah, a withholding or a withdrawal from um, openly sharing um, yourself with an acquaintance or stranger or in this context as a chaplain who is a professional? What does that look like from your end? Uh, so, building uh, a relationship is is really key. Um, often, people will will come in with um, some other problem that they want to talk about, and and we call them doorknob problems because then at the end of the visit. You know, when they've got their hand on the doorknob, oh, by the way. <laughs> and sometimes that doesn't happen, you know, for a long time. You know, I've I've talked to people about other things for, you know, I, I think one time it took over a year of regular visits before um, to, to, to get a particular individual to open up. 
but in conversation that way, in it a dance, you know, where you, the chaplain, you, the professional, or the, let's say the caregiver in this context, and then the individual, it's a give and take. People take turns leading and giving and how, how long that dance may last. And, and it is, it, it's kind of like a conversational dance in terms of something beautiful can be the outcome if both parties are willing. Yeah, absolutely. Although I'm being, I'm being pretty flowery in a more clinical like setting that you work (laughs) in. (laughs) I don't, I don't know if poetry fits too well in among terms and terminology and diagnosis. Absolutely. Uh, And in fact, I think that that's one thing that the, that chaplains bring to the, the clinical setting is, is, um, and, and not that other disciplines don't as well, but, but I think it's really important for chaplains to bring beauty into the clinical experience. Well, broadening our scope a little bit here in terms of the vocation that you have, Darren, what is the difference in terms of a chaplain and maybe a counselor or social worker or the equivalent within a veteran's office, a, a veterans hospitalization or clinic or um, caring facility. What makes your role distinctive than some of the other roles that, that overlap? So chaplains um, are uh, focused on, the individual uh, in a in a kind of a nuanced way, uh, rather than working with someone to achieve a specific goal. The chaplain's role is to be a companion, to walk with them through the experience. And sometimes, you know, I mean, obviously, broadly speaking, it is counseling, but it's counseling um, with no agenda except that which the patient brings. And I guess you could argue that's an agenda in itself. (laughs) (laughs) Are there goals? Are there um, expectations like spoken or written? Is it a requirement for a veteran of a particular faith or any faith to visit with the chaplain? No. Uh, it's completely voluntary, um, and um, usually initiated by the patient themselves. So, you know, there are times when uh, you know, a, a psychotherapist, for instance, might uh, ask the patient, "Could I refer you to the chaplain? Would that be okay?" And, How free are you able to speak of faith? Um, and for our context, um, the Christian faith. Well, if the patient is of the Christian faith, uh, and that's important to them, then it would be central mm-hmm. to the conversation. Um, if or otherwise, if they you know have questions about something, I you know, uh, but yeah, back to the I guess approaching it without an agenda. 
you know, uh, that's completely up to the patient. How how much uh, faith is is a part, and and you know, faith defined as you did. I mean, we can talk about having faith and various things, but <laughs> religious religious faith. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, um, faith and belief in and the sure. nuances of faith, nuances of what belief means, and how they're very different. Yeah, right. We, so broadly speaking, faith is is a part of everyone's spirituality. It's just a matter of what they have faith in. Is it humanity? Is it uh, faith in themselves? Mm-hmm. Faith in their support system? Or, you know, a particular religious tradition. Well, Darren, let's go back and kind of discuss and look at your journey and how you came into this caring profession of chaplaincy. Can you trace a thread to some earlier moment of your life where you can see a connection between where you are now and maybe when you were younger? So, yeah, the, I think ministry has always been kind of there for me. Uh, I didn't know what it was going to look like, Um, but I can, I can remember, (laughs) you know, uh, as a very small child, um, I may have told you the story before, but uh, I can, I can remember uh, the, the bathroom in in my parents' house, uh, one of the bathrooms had a, had a big long um, counter top with a mirror, you know, that was the kind of the full wall. Uh, and my mom had uh, a candle sitting on it. And I can remember when I was little turning my bathrobe around backwards and hanging the belt around my neck like a stole <laughs> and pretending to celebrate communion uh, in on the on the uh, the communion table countertop I had there. Wonderful. Uh, and I, I, I don't remember that. I, I didn't know that story. So you were modeling what you what you saw pretty early on. How old do you think you were at that time? Well, sixteen, seventeen. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I don't I don't know, probably pretty young. I don't know, six, seven, eight, something like that. It, you were creative enough to even think of your vestments. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, and, and not that I understood, uh, you know, sacramental theology or, or liturgy or anything else, but, um, but it felt important mm-hmm. and something that I wanted to be a part of. Um, and so like, most of us, I think, um, I went to seminary. You know, you know, I went, I went to to Bethel, and psychology was always very interesting to me. Mm-hmm. So that's my undergrad it was in psychology, and and then in seminary, I thought I was going into parish ministry, like most of us do, and was serving churches, um, you know, the stated supply. And uh, and and loved the, those churches, the wonderful people and wonderful relationships. But during seminary, there was kind of a confluence of things I think that happened that that caused me to to hear my call differently. Um, and, and one of them was 
the clinical practicum that that everyone had to had to do and having that experience of spending a semester working with um uh, actually mark brown at uh, at ut bold hospital at that point um that had a had a remarkable impact on me mm-hmm. uh, and margaret mckee uh, who's also a cp chaplain in memphis and and finding that while i loved uh, working with with folks in the parish there was just something missing and and it turned out that what was what was missing i found in chaplaincy and uh, that was i guess a link back to the psychology part uh, the counseling and and helping people with difficult experiences and you know in the churches that we were serving back then um there weren't a lot of those experiences not that people didn't have trouble but uh, i I didn't have a lot of counseling opportunities really Hmm. Um, you were also a very young man with limited experiences life experiences absolutely absolutely I imagine that's how uh, you, I, and others, men and women, who felt a call to ministry early in life and acted on that, that um, uh, I I felt most of the time I was warmly embraced. But looking back, there were certainly major limitations that that come with life experience and wisdom that comes with life experience that you can't read about or be taught in a classroom. You know, it's something that you have to trudge along on your own and figure out for yourself. Absolutely. You know, the, the process of uh, clinical pastoral education, uh, the the training to, to become a a chaplain, a healthcare chaplain, um, primes the pump for that a great deal. Um, there, there's lots of uh, uh, hands-on learning and uh, you know, <laughs> diving into the deep end of the pool. To... <laughs> well, um, I can only speak from the practicum point of view, but um, kind of turns you, or at least my experience was, it turns you inside out. So, yeah, I go in and I can do self-reflection inwardly. I do it often, but doing it in a public way was new to me. (laughs) So what are you thinking and why are you thinking that way? And that's an interesting, and I'm sure there are other fields maybe that open you up to those kinds of things, but it's one thing to question yourself. And I don't mean in a doubtful way, but it's another thing to share it at what it is that you, that your process and what, what you're thinking and then have that questioned, (laughs) 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 which, (laughs) which, uh, if you're open, open to that, it can be very rewarding, but I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, that willingness, there has to be a willingness there to go deep. Um, and, and that, you know, vulnerable, You, you will become vulnerable. I talked over you, Darren. So, um, uh, 
You did? Uh, maybe. I... <laughs> well, I, it must not have been important if I was saying something, because uh, it's, it's gone. You, you were kind of walking me through um, your introduction to uh, chaplaincy training, in essence, uh, and and uh, some of those early exposures um, tickled an itch that maybe you didn't experience so much in the local congregations that you had and, and were serving at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, I found lots of opportunity <laughs> <laughs> in healthcare uh, chaplaincy to to uh, to work with people with some very real problems, mm-hmm. uh, and it took a while for for me to kind of find the place where I am now, uh, as far as um, kind of a focus area within chaplaincy. Uh, and I'm I'm fortunate to be in a setting uh, that allows me to to focus on kind of where my where my passions are. Let's go back a little bit and sort of live in some other periods of your life. Let's go back when you were a teenager and how did you begin living into and understanding that calling into ministry? Uh, You made a profession of faith at some point and was that coupled with a call to ministry did that come later where you sort of publicly announced? What did that look like for you? I don't want to put words into your to your mouth, but what did that look like? Um, so it was not until um, I was in college that that I really um, sort of accepted the, the, the call. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. So faith has always been, you know, like I described, uh, it's always been a very important part of my life. The church is always, you know, uh, very active in youth group, CPYC, Triennium. I think you and I were uh, youth advisory delegates to General Assembly (laughs) at the same time. um, That's right. Yeah, yeah. right. I believe that's true. Yeah. Yeah. uh, we both had it's, hair at that time. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so, but I had kind of made a deal uh, there uh, just between me and God. I, I, I had not shared anything about ministry with anybody else, even though there were people in my life, in my home church, who were you know pushing me <laughs> in that direction. I resisted it. Um Okay, so I assumed um, that if you were um, play acting in the single digits of your life um, in front of a mirror, that you just kind of embraced maybe a call to ministry, didn't know what that looked like, but working in the church at some degree or fashion, but that's not necessarily true. So kind of, I just spoke over you again, Darren. You, you made a deal with God. Yeah, well, see, yeah. And so the deal was that I was going to go to law school first. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and and that's that's what I was going to do. And it just wasn't things, things 
didn't weren't going well, you know, as far as uh, feeling at peace with with that and and trying to focus on on that path. Um, and so I, I guess there were a lot of influences at work there that finally broke down the resistance. <laughs> yeah, and then you found yourself at Bethel. Was that some of your early encounters to the world of psychology and did that inform a possible career path? Yeah. Uh, not just psychology, but theologically. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I thought I knew a lot. Um <laughs> <laughs> And that has been a theme throughout my life now that I think about it. Uh, every, uh, every uh, class or, or experience of learning more uh, theologically, mm. uh, you know, kind of rocked my world. And, and, and that, came, that came in the form of Dr. John Carlock's Christian ethics class at Bethel. <laughs> um, what happened? Uh, he was just—he's just an excellent professor, um, and uh, and so many wonderful professors over the years um, that have helped shape me. But um, he just challenged me, you know. Uh, <laughs> no matter what I said, he challenged me <laughs> uh, to to think more deeply. That that was really pivotal, I think. So, do you know what you're saying is? You came away a little more humble from some of your coursework at Bethel. Indeed, indeed, uh, and and uh, and you know, on the psychology side, uh, you know, Laddie Lawler also challenged me mm. a great deal, and um, he, I, I, he and I didn't exactly jibe <laughs> to start with <laughs> but um but grew an appreciation i think he always appreciated me i just didn't realize it um and i learned to appreciate him and, and he <laughs> became came very uh very important in in my uh my path well you may you named a couple professors um who else has been influential not just in your educational path, but just helping inform your faith and making that, that journey that much richer? Wow. That's a good question. And it's hard to know where to start with that. <laughs> uh, there's so, so many uh, professors and pastors and friends and family and colleagues and over the years that have, have, have shaped me. Um, the experience of, of being a husband and a father. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, wow. Yeah. yeah. How, That's how, different. how is, um, being a husband informed your faith? We'll start with that one first. Well, the, the fact that I've been married, to the same woman for almost 22 years is a miracle. <laughs> <laughs> she's, she's still putting up with me. <laughs> yeah. 
um, and I, and you know, we have a wonderful life uh, together and wonderful children, mm-hmm. uh, both teenagers now, hard to believe. Uh, but, but just, um, I guess uh, it's a constant reminder of God's grace mm. at work uh, in, in my life. How about being a parent? Let, let's start, let's, we'll go early. We'll go uh, those early moments of, oh my goodness, this is our first child. Now what? How, how did that speak to your faith then? That, I mean, because that's a pivotal and a transformational stage of life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think that that's probably a pivotal moment for, for any parent, right? Um, mm-hmm. But our, our son, our oldest, uh, had some, some problems uh, as a newborn uh, and had to be, you know, on a ventilator and all that for, for a couple of weeks. Uh, and there, there was a point where they weren't sure he was going to survive. You know? um, that was really clarifying. And I was in residency at the time, too. So, uh, which is grueling. And and when he was born, there were so many things that seemed important until that moment. Hmm. Uh, and then uh, immediately after that, uh, you know, so when he was born, it seemed like everything was fine. It was it wasn't until hours later that they realized there was a problem, and uh, and and he's he's fine now. So it's you know, uh, but those were some long days, mm-hmm. and um, there just wasn't an awful lot that mattered. I remember going back to um, to the hospital to, to work. Uh, after a while, after he was home and well, and you know, everything was was good, and uh, we were talking about the mid residency review, which is a really big deal for a resident. Um, you have to you know, sit with a committee and go over your work and get grilled <laughs> about <laughs> what you've done and not done and what you should do. Um, and and we were meeting about the process, and one of my fellow residents said, "How can you be so relaxed? It's like you don't even care about this." <laughs> and I, I said, "I, I don't. Uh, my son's alive, and that's all that matters right now." Mm. Um, so I, that that experience, um, and I and I remember uh, my supervisor telling me that. Uh, the challenge for, for me was to be able to move away from that experience and retain those lessons. Where are you now? That was 18 years ago. Yeah, 19. Yeah. Um, so I said the lesson is still there. 
but you know, certainly <laughs> I've definitely moved away from it uh, to the to, uh, and and have to reach back and reclaim that lesson sometimes mm-hmm. because like anybody else, it's easy to get kind of fused with struggle. <laughs> <laughs> Darren, I from time to time I like to ask um, guest um, about our relationship with God and experiencing God's presence, and that can be done and experienced in many ways. Um, Darren, where where are you experiencing God's presence in your life now? You have two teenage kids. You're back in school. You have full-time work. You've been married for over 20 years. You have a little bit of experience underneath your belt, hopefully some wisdom and insight to share with others. But in terms of your relationship with God, where is it? How do you know, I mean, really, really know that it's you and God and just your life? How would you articulate that? Probably not nearly as well as you articulated the question. Um, But I think the reality is uh, when I stop and look and take time, I see God everywhere. But there's a constant competition for that attention. And, and so you know, and I'm certainly not the best, but at it. But the um, developing intentional practices is something that I strive to do mm-hmm. uh, to to slow down and and notice. I think that there is a correlation between gratitude and and uh, taken for granted <laughs> and. Yeah. There's uh, knowing that God is present in your life, however that is manifested and experienced in that moment and in that context. If it's something that is repetitive, I think the temptation is to, to take it for granted. And therefore, why develop deeper, more rigorous practices when you're already taking something very powerful, loving, and compassionate um, for granted already. Now, I'm throwing that out there. I'm not pointing that at you. I'm just kind of raising a question in general, something I'll have yep. to ponder on. Well, I think that's the reason to do it, mm-hmm. right? Um, because we realize that, that we're taking the ultimate for granted. Mm-hmm. The, the the miracle of of spring, for instance, you know, if you if you take time to notice the flowers and and the birds, and I love being outside, um, but that's not always easy to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so I think that's that in and of itself is. It, it 
important for spiritual health. Darren, you work with men and women who have experienced trauma and have experienced death on many levels, big death, little death, metaphorically and physically. When or if you've been asked a question of like, where is God in all of this from one of your patients, one of the veterans, how do you respond? Where is God in the world? I've seen this. I've been vulnerable. I've shared with you. You're my chaplain. How do I know God exists? Because I've seen and experienced and feel awful things. How do you respond to that? Well, I think I would put that question to to the patient. Uh, I would reflect that back to them and, and say, well, where do you see grace in your life? It's not all bad, no matter how bad it is. So you've, you've been some, through something horrific, but you, you got through it. Mm. Why? All right. Not being a chaplain, if you could take that, that roll off for a moment. What do you think? Where is God in this big, vast, beautiful, messy world? Well, I think the my answer in some ways is the same everywhere, <laughs> but um, but I think most palpably it happens in human connection. Hmm. Speak more. I think it's it, sometimes we can see God clearly in isolation, um, and sometimes um, human interaction may make it more more difficult to see God. <laughs> at work but um but when we when we approach relationships in an authentic way uh with with humility and vulnerability and focus less on ourselves and more on the person in front of us um i think that's holy ground mm. and biblical in the sense of humility I mean, that's, that's humility in its best form. You have that awareness of who you are, your strengths, your weaknesses, your failures, your miscomings, your gifts. But there's less of a focus on yourself and more of a focus on other, the other, or others. And to focus on, on the other in a positive way. Ah, yeah. Okay. Good, yeah. good. Yeah, that's right. To, cel to, to celebrate mm. the Imago Dei. That's hard, though, if, if you're broken yourself. If you're hurting yourself, though. If you're in trauma. There has to be little steps in between to get there. Well, and maybe key to that is, is one of acceptance. Mm. Uh, accepting yourself for who you are, uh, warts and all, as we say, um, and, and, and accepting that your story is your story, mm. right? There's nothing we can do to change the past, but 
maybe we can learn to hold it differently. Maybe we can relate to it differently so that it's not so much defining who we are as, as it is just a part of our story. Maybe even one from which we could draw strength and meaning. You're in a unique place. You have served local churches. You're a minister in the Cumberland Presbyterian Church. And yet, right now, your ministry is in a, in a different capacity and reaches people that maybe the church does not reach, church in the traditional sense, or speak to, or, or can help. I think that gives you a unique perspective. And so I want to ask you, having one foot in and one foot out of the institution that we call the church, what do you think that we're doing really, really well? And Darren, what do you think that the church may be missing? I think <laughs> in some ways it's maybe two sides of the same coin. Uh, because I think that one of the real strengths of the church is tradition. Mm. Um, and and standing on the shoulders of so many who've gone before us, the great cloud of witnesses. And I think the church does that well. At the same time, the church is not really good at change. <laughs> um, and so finding the balance between those so that we we know who we are we celebrate um all that god has created us to be we become the hands and feet of christ in the world understanding that we don't get to choose that world and and the church has to be able to embrace people who are, are radically different, people who make us uncomfortable. And I think that we don't always do that very well. Mm. We, we much prefer <laughs> to kind of um, keep everything in a nice, tidy little box. We, get, we can get threatened pretty easily when we're confronted with things that don't fit in the box. <laughs> Yeah, an unwanted crease in your bulletin. <laughs> I mean that metaphorically, but also, you know, like physically. It, sometimes, you know, we're just not always at our best, and for odd reasons. You know, specifically the Cumberland Presbyterian Church, um, I, I'm sure, like all of us, have at times been just exasperated but i keep coming back to um all those relationships that um have shaped me and sustained me through which i've seen um god's grace and experienced god's grace in my life mm -hmm. I, you know, we're, we're incredibly diverse. 
And I think that one of our biggest challenges is, especially given the, the, all the, the cultural pressures that we face, is holding on to that, to the love that we have um, for one another. And, and and being willing to to experience tension sometimes to admit that we don't have all the answers and that's coming straight from an individual who at times in your life you felt like you had all the answers a response uh, many times. I'll say uh, I'll cut you some slack you had a <laughs> response to the many questions out there that the world grapples with <laughs> well, yeah, and I think that the reality was that, that I did have a response, but I think you, you know, from from my perspective, you were right the first time that uh, I thought I had the answers. <laughs> I'll often say that I, I I went to seminary with all the answers and left with questions, <laughs> mm-hmm. much better questions. <laughs> if you go back and talk to a younger Darren, who's growing in his faith and preparing for ministry. What would you counsel him with? What would you say? I think I would say lighten up. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Don't take yourself quite so seriously. Mm. Yeah, you needed to hear that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I need to hear that now. So there. Darren, are there books? music, art, movies that you've seen, that you've heard, that you've witnessed in your life or read in your life long ago or recently that speaks to your faith. Mm-hmm. And let, let's go ahead and let's take out textbooks. Okay. I know you're, you've gone back to school. So remove the textbooks. And journal articles, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just most of what I read these days. Um, wow, they've been they've been a lot. Um, Rob Bell. Um, a lot of a lot of his stuff, I think, has uh, impacted me pretty deeply. Uh, and and you know, books and and podcasts and i mean um he has he has a lot of good stuff Uh, you have the um the gift and the talent to sing how about music is there a musical piece that speaks to your heart and speaks to your faith either by hearing it or singing it I have a love hate relationship with hymns usually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I love hymns, mm-hmm. but, but, you know, sometimes I have to be careful about paying too much attention to the theology um, of, of some of my favorites. You know, I have fairly broad tastes and I, I there's not a lot of music that I don't like. Um, but as far as anything that's, that's been transformative or anything like that, um, 
I don't know. <laughs> right. Nothing's nothing's coming to mind. All right. How about um, how about a movie or a piece of art? And I think to help you out, art can include, in my mind, I think even building structures are pieces of art. Mm-hmm. Cars, even a car could be a piece of art. I'm I'm trying to help you here so you can at least. Yeah. Well, I, I need all the help I can get. <laughs> um, so it's interesting that, that you said, you mentioned architecture. Um, I love old churches and, and particularly, you know, the, the old kind of Gothic uh, architecture. Um, uh, I think, you know, uh, but I, you know, I love little country churches too, but buildings, um, old buildings, especially mm. really find a lot of beauty there. And in in addition to the to the building, um, and I guess a tie back to to playing pastor as a child, uh, the uh, the liturgy I think is is a work of art. Darren, I wonder if you were born in the wrong time, in the wrong era, where maybe those Gothic type church structures. And although maybe <laughs> maybe some of the traditions and the hymns, those were contemporary at the time, but at least you'd have them together. I, w- I wonder if you were meant to be born in an earlier era for ministry. Like the Middle Ages? <laughs> <laughs> Darren, thank you. Uh, for sharing your afternoon with me. Thank you for sharing your faith. And it's interesting to connect back with you after a long period of time and to hear how things are going and and that you're back in school. Did you want to, in closing, did you want to speak to uh, becoming a student again and what led to that? Oh, well, uh, um, it's quite a trip after being, you know, out of out of school for twenty years uh, to to go back and you know I've I've written things over those twenty years, but not for a grade. <laughs> so so that's a different different experience. Um, but I'm 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 enjoying it. Um, it's it's an opportunity. Uh, Vanderbilt has this program uh, that's specifically for chaplains, um, um, integrating principles of, of evidence-based psychotherapy with pastoral counseling. Mm. And um, the motivation was was just to be able to do my job better, uh, to, to be able to, to help. Because there occasionally, you know, in, in my context, um, most most of my patients are also receiving mental health care. Mm-hmm. Um, it's often the way they come to me is is you know through consultation um, like that. But occasionally there are individuals who are resistant to getting 
um, help uh, from from the mental health professionals, and so being better equipped mm. to to help those folks and and to to provide counseling that's that is um, sort of complementary in some ways to um, to what they're receiving if they are getting mental health care. How far along are you? And what degree are you seeking? Is is this uh, a it's, PhD? It's a it's a it's a DMAN mm-hmm. in uh, in integrative chaplaincy. Okay. Um, and I've just finished my first of three years. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm a third of the way there. <laughs> well, congratulations and and I wish you well. And uh, I hope you. <laughs> I hope that your experiences and your education can help inform the church and the church at large. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Um, I appreciate the opportunity to to hang out with you this afternoon. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you, Darren. You've been listening to The Cumberland Road. I've been hosting this podcast closing in on three years and have had the privilege of listening and growing with so many great people who, at the risk of being vulnerable, have given of themselves by being a guest. Each one has enriched my life and deepened my love, my love for others, and my hope. My hope in life and the future is filled with excitement and anticipation. I close with these words of Sidney Girard, a professor of psychology at the University of Florida in the 1970s and the author of several books, including The Transparent Self. He writes, To be really heard is a rarity in everyday life.